I am, uh, I'm Steve, one of the members of uh, the pastoral team here. And if you're just joining us this week, we are in the third week of a little series on uh, exploring, kind of throwing ideas at the wall uh, of what it could look like for us to really invest in neighbors groups. So it's calling it Into the Neighborhood. And uh, two weeks ago, I wasn't here. Uh, Devin spoke and uh, I was listening to it online and I was, I was following along and I was with him. And then he got to this point in his sermon where he was talking about learning how to swim, right? That was in there. And about going underwater. And I was like, no, you lost me because I'm not a swimmer. I um, have a terrible like fear of going underwater. And I was like, no, like that's really uncomfortable, Devin. Like I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And that was kind of the point, right? Like when you when you do things that are uncomfortable, when you when you embrace a little bit of risk, then maybe you'll get over your fear and you'll step out. And he was talking about the difference between practice, practices where there's a, a little bit of a threshold where we can fail, we can try things and fail, uh, versus like disciplines, a feeling of like we have to do this right. And so uh, it, it reminded me of a story, my own. Um, a couple of years ago, I guess pre-COVID, we went to a cottage, my family and I, and we, uh, we, we got all in our boats. I have, uh, I have four little ones, and so we boated out. Um, I guess this would have been pre, pre-Huxley, so I would have had three at the time. We boated out to this floating dock, and then we, we tethered our boats to this dock, and then my kids and my wife began jumping into the water. And they were like, Dad, Dad, come on, come on, jump in the water. And I was like, yeah, yeah like I really want to, but like... I actually don't. And so for, for about a few minutes there, I just kind of stood there and I was like, okay, um, you have to picture this. I'm in my life jacket because I don't, I just sink. Like I don't, I don't float. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm thinking like, okay, what do I do? Life jacket, like all the buckles are, are secure, right? Like, because I don't want to drown. And, um, and I'm thinking, okay, do I cover my nose? Cause I don't want water in my nose. And I'm like, okay. And they're all like, dad, dad, jump. And, and then I start thinking about all of the previous sort of fear stories, my, my sister um, once, one time jumped off a dock and uh, she landed right on a nail. This was at like my aunt's trailer park and, and then she had like, there's just blood everywhere and she had to go to the hospital. So I'm like, oh, I don't know what's under the water. Like what if I land on a nail? Like I'm in the middle of a lake, okay, it's deep. But I'm thinking about standing or landing on a nail. And so all the irrational fears start to set in and I'm like, I can't jump. I think 15 minutes went by, my kids had just moved on. And I'm like, okay, and I finally jumped. And, uh, and, and they were like, okay, good job, dad, good job. But all these, like, all these things that are really difficult for us, you know, fear gets in the way, it gets in our head. I think I'm an Enneagram one, and I, I, so when I'm integrating, I like new ideas, I like new stuff, and yet my perfectionism, my, my, my desire for everything to be like ducks in a row, perfectly arranged, gets in my way. And, uh, and there's always an, an element of risk in trying new things. So we're talking about neighbors, we're talking about neighbors groups, we're talking about neighboring, and there's an element of risk in this too, as we try to reach out beyond our comfort zones. I, like Devin, am an introvert. And so neighboring comes with a bit of risk. You know, what if we fail? What if we, what if we put ourselves out there and they don't like us? What if we, uh, what if we get absolutely rejected? I remember when we first moved uh, from into downtown Windsor, and we, uh, we were in the middle of, of three, we, we were in the middle of row house, of three attached row houses, and we thought, let's invite our neighbors. It was winter, let's do like this four week winter warm up thing where we send out cards to all of our neighbors, and, uh, and we'll invite them to dinner on Saturdays, and, uh, and like nobody showed up. Like one family showed up one Saturday, 
and it was like, oh, I thought this was for like the whole neighborhood. Like, and we we're like, yeah, you guys were the only ones who said yes. Um, and so there's like failure is part of this whole neighboring thing. But then we were reading this, this, this book, um, it's called The Turquoise Table, and we had a picnic table, and the whole idea of this book is, just really one idea in this whole book, take your gathering space, which is normally in your backyard, and move it to your front yard. They had a picnic table, they painted it turquoise, and they said, hey, we're gonna make this a place to hang out. So we moved our, our picnic table from the backyard to the front yard, and we began to just eat meals out there. And at first, people would just walk by and look at us like we were strange, like who are these people? And then people would stop, and they'd chat for a few minutes, and slowly, gradually, people began to join us at the table. They began to sit down with us. And then one neighbor even like, came over and said, hey, can I borrow your table? Can I just like, bring it across the street? I wanna have my own little get-together. And so there are ideas that are these small pivots, small little risks that allow us to maybe step into to the unknown, a little bit of, of trying new things, and we see where they take us. So we're talking about this neighbor stuff. We recognize it's not easy. Comes with a little bit of a risk. There's a learning curve to it all. And yet there's tremendous benefits that can come out of it. And what I would love to do today is to provide a little bit of a sketch of three dimensions of shared life that these neighbors groups, we have these geographically based small groups, for lack of a better term. If that term is like baggage to you, just pretend I didn't say it. Geographically based groups that meet together. Um, and, uh, and I want to explore three dimensions. This guy, Mike Breen, he wrote a book called Building a Discipleship Culture. And he said this, he said, Jesus lived out his life in three relationships, up with his father, in with his chosen followers, and out with the, with the hurting world around him. And we can likely think of examples in the story of Jesus where he does all of these, where he pulls away from crowds and finds time in silence and solitude and stillness with his father, the up dimension. We can see where he pulls away from, from the crowds to be with his, his disciples and teach them something, have a, a huddle conversation, or where he pulls them into an upper room and washes their feet. These really intimate and servant-oriented uh, acts that he does with, his, with his, clo his, his closest friends and followers. Or all the examples in Scripture where Jesus is out healing people, interacting with uh, some of the people who are the most marginalized, the most uh, pushed to the margins and, and lost and lonely and exiled. There's a story in Luke 12, or Luke, sorry, Luke 6, which brings all of these together. And so I want to spend a few minutes in that. In Luke 6, verse 12, it starts out, During those days, he went up to the mountain to pray, and he spent all night in prayer to God. So we see this, this example Jesus has uh, in Luke 4. He's been in the wilderness. He's been tempted. He comes out of it. The Spirit is, is poured out on him. Luke 5, he begins to call his community to him. He starts healing people, and then he pulls away, and he finds time just with his father, just in these, all night long, in this prayerful uh, posture, spending time cultivating the relationship that he has with God, with his Father. And then verses 13 to 16 go on. This is a passage of him calling forth his inner circle, his 12 closest friends. There had been a community that had started to follow him, sort of a bigger crowd. And now, out of that crowd, he begins to call them by name. And we might look at this and say, yeah, it's just a list of people's names. But it's more than that. It's the particularity of people. He called them by name. He called them into a, an intimate kind of community. These, these folks walked together. They journeyed together. They shared life together. He washed their feet. They ate meals together. There was sacrifice involved. There was surely conflict and conflict resolution involved. 
and he forms a tight-knit community with these 12. And then we can see in the, in the third section, the next verses, it says, after coming down with them, so they were up and away, separate, in, then they come down, and he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and, Samir- and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those tormented by unclean spirits were made well, and the whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. So we, we see that he moves from time with his father, time with his uh, chosen friends and followers, and then out into the world to heal, to minister, to connect, to relate to, to bring good news and hope. So we see these three dimensions, up, in, and out. And then we find that right after this, we've been spending some time in the Beatitudes uh, in, our, in our midweek videos, and, uh, and Luke's Beatitudes follows straight out of this. And they sort of sum up and synthesize all three of these coming together. The Beatitudes stretch us and pull us into these three relationships of loving God and loving our neighbor and, and loving one another, the one another verses in Scripture. So I want to spend a minute, uh, a, mi- a minute or two walking through each of these up, in, and out. Uh, because we can, we can hear this language and think, well, what does that actually mean in community? So up. These are practices that help us cultivate and nurture a relationship with God which include, you know, worship, what we're doing right now, what we did this morning. And it can include prayer. Uh, one of the practices I did in downtown Windsor was um, an alley walking. I would, I, would, I would pray my alleys. And so I would walk these places that were often abandoned and forsaken. And uh, often, I was just putting my kids to bed a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about Windsor. And we have been probably away from Windsor about nine or ten months now. We'd moved. And so I was asking my kids, what do you remember? And my, my, my kids were like, there's a lot of garbage in the alleyways. And that was the only thing they remembered. I was like, wow, that's, that's quite the memory. We were there for five years. Um, but so I was walking these alleyways, you know, prayerful. And with that posture of, of wanting to see God in the alleyways, of meet him in the places where there was incredible brokenness, but also there was incredible beauty. If people who were trying to recapture and redeem these forsaken spaces and having a prayer, a prayerful posture of seeing God in the neighborhood. So the up practices don't always mean uh, hiding in my closet. We can have a posture of prayer. We can aim to see God in our neighborhood as well. Uh, we, can, we can see this as maybe the sacraments, like, you, uh, like Eucharist or communion. Uh, we could talk about learning together, maybe reading a book together. We've done learning communities uh, where we explore a topic or a theme or, or a book of the Bible together. We, we could talk about syncing up our Bible reading together. Uh, in Windsor, we would do this. We would provide a monthly uh, reading plan. We would send it out, and every day would include a psalm, a proverb, an epistle, and a gospel reading. And even if you didn't join us in the morning for the half an hour of reading Scripture, you could read it on your own, and you'd still connect in. Even as I was listening to Eli talking about how this prayer calendar has been like, it's, it's connecting dots and weaving through uh, some of the themes we're, we're feeling. Like, oh, prayer, you know, we're feeling kind of worn out and weary. Oh, pray for, you know, courage for our leadership and how that, like, boosts us up. We would see the same kinds of things happen as we would be traveling through the month, and, like, Scripture would just pop off the page. Like, oh, we needed that. And so often we probably individualize our reading, our, our Bible reading. You know, I'll do my, my, you know, read a Bible in a year and you'll do your thing. And, and we'll all be on different wavelengths. What if we actually synced those up? What if as neighbors groups we committed to reading the Bible together, in, you know, in some sort of method together? I wonder what could happen. 
But then the idea of practicing Sabbath together, this is another up practice, resting. Resting and working together. Uh, if you think about, you know, productivity, you might organize a workplace based on coverage. You know, well, we've got these many staff, and so we want to make sure that, you know, you're off Thursday, you're off Friday, you're off Wednesday, so we have coverage. That's kind of a productive lens, and it's, it's a good way to, to do things. One of the things we've been trying at Elevation in our pastoral team has been to sync up our Sabbath, to actually work at the same times and rest at the same times and be in a sort of a rhythm of work and rest together. And I wonder how powerful that could be if neighbors groups embodied a similar kind of thing. What would it look like to practice Sabbath together, just be with each other and rest? So let's go on to in. Now, the Bible uses a lot of familial family language, and it can be heavy for some. It's language that has been used and abused to demand a kind of loyalty culture at times. You know, like, we're family, so we, we cover this up. Or we're family, we, we will look the other way. And so if, if you've had that experience, you know, just recognizing that family language can be hard, family language can be loaded. It's also language that speaks to how we as a people are called to love one another. So there's a tension here. It's beautiful language, and yet it's loaded language at times. The, the idea of inward practices is that invitation to a loving community, to a family-like community. The one another passages in Scripture, it's language uh, that, that talks about eating together. You know, Jesus did a ton of this, as did the early church. The, the beautiful and poetic act of just sharing a meal or serving each other in practical ways or spiritual ways like foot washing. It might look like meal trains. This is something Elevation does really great, and I'm currently uh, the recipient of this. I'm being blessed by you all, and it's, it's, it's fantastic. My wife is due, she's 39 weeks, so due in a week and a half, and, and we've got some meals coming in, and, and we're feeling the love. This is a way that, that as communities, we can bless each other in celebration, you know, times of welcoming new life, but also mourning, or times of difficulty. We show up for each other. We, we send each other some meals. We say, hey, we love you. We hope you feel that love through this meal. It can look like um, it can like babysitting, like looking after each other's kids. Uh, I remember when we moved to to uh, Windsor and we had family in Sarnia and family in London, and feeling like we could still kind of whip through Detroit, which was about an hour away, and have connection to our family. And then COVID took away the border, and it felt like we were estranged from our family. And uh, just the, the very practical element of, like, not having babysitting resources. We needed our community in Windsor to be our family, to show up and, like, offer to babysit our kids. And that small act, that gesture of, like, hey, can I just, like, look after your kids can be so life-giving and so rewarding. And one way we can show each other we love each other. It could be just listening. When we think of conflict, one thing we, we noticed um, is that the more you share life together, the more you will have conflict together. The more you're in each other's lives, the more you will butt heads. And so we need to figure out ways to actually listen to each other and forgive each other and, and handle conflict in community. And then there's this third dimension of out. And out practices are about nurturing our relationship with our neighborhood and our neighbors which could include hospitality, like Devin was talking about two weeks ago, this spiritual practice of hospitality, welcoming in the stranger. But also within that verse in Luke, uh, Luke 10 was about going out and receiving the hospitality of others, which can be really, really awkward and uncomfortable, and especially if you are crossing cultural uh, boundaries and barriers and not knowing, like, how to eat a particular food. Um, that, can be, that can be stretching and... 
And so we're invited into that, both dimensions of hospitality. Um, it could look like some really creative things like street parties and block parties. I think the Mac fans are having a street party today, right? Is that? Yeah. So there's a street party on the Mac fans street. You're not invited, I don't think, because you don't live there. But, um, but a way to engage your neighbors is to get out on the streets and have a party. Um, helping neighbors move in or out. A guy named Dan White Jr., who's one of my favorite Twitter, Twitter followers, talked about this commitment he made with God that anytime he saw a moving truck come into his neighborhood, he would go offer help. And he was, uh, I think he was overseeing a funeral one time. He was all in his, in his funeral suit and a moving truck showed up and he's like, really God, right now? So he went and gave like 15 minutes, met the neighbors, helped them move in. And, uh, and that first point of contact in or out of a neighborhood is an amazing way to meet people. Uh, in Windsor, we had Adopt-A-Street. Is there anything like that here? Adopt-A-Street? Yeah? Okay, I see some heads. The idea of like just saying, we're going like, to look after our street. We're going to come in to like, clean up our street. There's a great story from, um, from the move-in community where there was this guy, he moved into a new neighborhood, into a new building, and he was having trouble connecting with his neighbors. They weren't really, like, they weren't really feeling his, his invitation, and so he started picking up garbage. And somebody stopped him and said, hey, do you work for the building or something? And he's like, no, I just, I just live here and I love this, you know, I want to, I want to show you that I love. And so the act of like cleaning up a neighborhood, of beautifying a space, can also show you are committed, you lay down roots, you love this place. I think about uh, supporting local businesses, you know, people who have called your neighborhood home because they work there, they've invested their business there. Show up, support them. And then just hanging out at local parks. We would have this choice um, in Windsor where some of the best parks were not in our, in our parish, in our walking distance. And our kids would be like, Dad, Dad, we want to go to like Moana Park, which was like the one by the water with the palm trees. It had some really cool like, you know, climber features. And we would do that on occasion. And our kids would go there and they would play and they wouldn't know any other kids and they wouldn't develop any relationships. But as we spent time in our local park, we spent time getting to know the kids who also frequented the local park and their families and their parents. And slowly over time, you build and cultivate relationships. And sometimes in the outward practices, it's, over to like, it's easy to over-spiritualize things. Um, and maybe we're prone to do this. And we maybe need a better framework for what collaboration looks like for organizations and individuals doing kingdom work. And so there's this, this guy, this book I've had um, called Kingdom Matrix. And actually, I found out he's a Cambridge native. So he's Canadian, he's from the area, and he talks initially about this dichotomy of sacred and secular. Maybe we've done this before, you know, sacred good, secular bad, and he would say, well, this doesn't really get us anywhere helpful because, you know, there's plenty of great people and organizations doing amazing things in the secular, and there's some pretty rotten and crummy people doing things in the secular and the sacred space too. So he said, that's like, that's form, but we also have to look at source. So he would say, there's a matrix here on the next slide where he says, Actually, we've got the kingdom of God, and what he would say is the rival kingdom, the dominion of darkness. This is his language. And we have this matrix. This whole book is about this. Um, I'm summarizing it to about a minute. And, um, and he would say, we as the church are probably in the kingdom of God, sacred space, and yet we're interacting with this, these three other areas. And so when it comes to the dominion of darkness, uh, sacred. We're talking about, you know, what he calls brand expanders. He would say there's some really twisted churches here, some really twisted religious ideology. There's the occult. There's cults in general. There's, there's, there's some insidious things happening in that, and that this is where the, you know, the church sort of opposes it. But then the, the one below it, the, the dominion of darkness, secular, is basically our dominant culture. It's, 
It's driven by greed, selfishness, uh, self-promotion, self-fulfillment, self-actualization. And then my favorite category on the other side is the kingdom of God secular. And he would say, this is where actually there are some amazing individuals and organizations that are doing kingdom work without flying the banner of the church. Uh, he uses the example in his book of Cyrus of Persia, who's this Old Testament king of Persia who comes in. He's not a Jew. He's not part of the religious uh, system there. And he lets the Jews go home. And not only does he like free them, he actually resources them. He supports them. He does kingdom work without actually flying any banner uh, of, of religion. And so here, I, I love how, what Jeff offers us here, that there's between the kingdom expanders and the kingdom seekers, he says we should collaborate. We should work together. There's some amazing organizations that are doing, you know, work around climate change. Uh, let's collaborate. Or mental health. Or care for the care for the poor. Let's collaborate. Uh, just because people do not fly a religious umbrella or banner does not mean we should not uh, value them and work with them. So as we think about this out practice, the out dimension, there's an invitation there as well. I want to go back to the um, the triangle here, and um, all right, good. I got I got time. So up and out, and um, doing all of these three well, I think can be a little tricky. And so just if we overlay like a Venn diagram on top of this, we'll see some some overlap points where you know where the up and in meet, where the in and out meet, where the up and out meet, and then the middle section. And Mike Breen, who's the author of this, of this book on, uh, on this triangle, he talks about how there's so many two-dimensional churches that are maybe missing the third dimension. So he would say the up and in, we might call this, you know, the archetype of the holy huddle. We would say, this is a church that, uh, I've worked for a church like this, you know, they have no real footprint in the community. They're really strong on practices of worship and prayer and scripture reading, and they create an environment of love and care they have just no connection to their neighbors at all. One of the pastors before me um, helped them start a community garden. We're going to turn this grassy area into a community garden. It'll be a great place to connect with neighbors. And the church was like, yeah, we're going to build a fence around it. And then we're going to like not invite the neighbors to be part of this at all. We're going to invite an organization to oversee it. Like they just missed the whole point. It was like right over their heads. We might also see the, uh, the up and the out uh, we could call this, you know, the archetype of missional churches. They are amazing advocates for the neighborhood. They are committed to justice. I've worked for an organization like this in Windsor. Um, they, they are fueled by a set of spiritual practices, a commitment. They say, hey, God is on mission, and so Jesus was on mission, and so we are on mission. We're invited to be on mission, too. So the, there's a missional impulse, and what's often characterizes these kind of communities is go, 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 do, 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 burnout. And so there's, because we're always going and doing and always going and doing, then we burn out and then people leave, but new people join. And there's not really ever a cultivated community of care. We're missing those inward practices of, of caring for each other and loving each other. And then we would have the third one, which is the in and out community. And this one we might say is like the inclusive community. We want to break down this wall of insiders and outsiders, us and them. And so the easiest way to do that is often to get rid of the religious language, the the creeds, the sacraments, the overtly Christian things, and, uh, and we'll just, you know, create community together. And, uh, and so there's 
benefits and weaknesses to all three of these. And I would suggest, and Mike Breen would suggest, that the beautiful synthesis happens in the middle. When all three of these are present, the church shows up and follows Jesus in these three. And I wonder, my wondering for today is, could these three help shape our neighbors groups? Could all three of these show up in our neighbors groups? We're probably really good uh, by design. Our neighbors group started out kind of in that inward practice. How can we care for each other? How can we shepherd each other? How can we be the primary point of contact in, in celebration and in mourning? Uh, and, and could we maybe grow in these other areas of up and out? Could our neighbors groups actually become one of the best vehicles we have for local mission because they're rooted in neighborhoods? Today is Neighbors Sunday. And so if you happen to be meeting with your neighbors group today, maybe talk about some of these ideas. See if it's possible. What are the questions you have? And if you already haven't uh, considered this, maybe here's a few ideas. One of them would be start up a neighbor's chat, whether it's through Facebook or WhatsApp or a text thread. Whatever works best for you and your group. Think of how families talk. You know, they send through pictures of their, their kids and have mundane conversations. How's everybody doing today? I have probably several of these with just family, you know, and so just a, a message thread. You know, there's probably a feature for that through Planning Center, but maybe you don't, or through Church Center, maybe you don't want to go that route, you want to just do your own. Whatever works for you and your neighbor's group, do that. Another idea is um, ask your neighbors to dream together. Uh, often what I found in, um, is when you talk about what possible, you know, things you can do together, people kind of get down on their neighbors, you know, on, on their neighborhoods. Like, yeah, well, we, we really can't, or our neighborhood's not safe, or there's a whole laundry list of things. And there's a, an author and founder of asset-based community development. His name's John McKnight. And he said, whenever, he, whenever he's talking to neighbors about their possible, possibilities and dreams, he asks them a pivot question. You know, when they get down in the dumps, he says, what's one thing you would love to do with two or three of your neighbors? And I was talking to my neighbor, Mike, one day, and um, he was talking about how Windsor used to be great, and now it's, you know, full of all this negative stuff. And so I asked him, I practiced the pivot question, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I'd love to start a jazz club. And I was like, a jazz club? And then I found out that Mike actually makes music in his house. He has this whole YouTube channel of his own hip-hop tracks. And we started talking about music and how music brings people together. And I found something that unlocked possibility together. And how could we get to that, like, jazz club idea when, and shift from the neighborhood's a bad place to like, the neighborhood could be really amazing with a jazz club in it. So possibility comes when we change the question, when we ask possibility questions, when we, when we ask pivot questions. Another idea is uh, just supporting local organizations uh, that align with kingdom values. And then the last one, and this connects to last week, is using the resources we have here at Elevation through our members initiative. So if you as a, as a neighbors group, you as an individual, find, hey, there's this amazing organization we want to support, connect with the arm of our missions uh, team called Members Initiatives and say, hey, is there any resource, is there any support for this? We'd love to support it as, a, as an individual, as a neighbors group, as a church. So the question I want to leave us with is, like, could we envision investing in these groups and resourcing them so that they would be spaces to help us cultivate our life with God, this upward dimension, our life with one another, inward, and our life with our neighbors and neighborhoods. I'm going to pray and then uh, dismiss us. There's no discussion today because it is Neighbors Sunday. Uh, if you don't have his neighbors group, 
come chat with us. We'd love to get you connected into one or explain further what they are. If you do have one, hopefully your neighbor's group is doing something fun or interactive today. God, you're good. We know your goodness. We sang of your goodness this morning. We feel it in our lives. You're faithful. And uh, we just look to you, Jesus, as our model, who loved in these three directions, and uh, that you would continue to encourage us, uh, lead us by your spirit into, into risk, into uncomfortability, into trying new things, even if it means failure. Help us to follow your lead uh, in the neighborhood. In Jesus' name, amen.